0: Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the big dumb variety. I'm your host Corey, and I'm joined with three of my good friends today: Steve, Yellow, Jonathan. Hey guys, and Cavi. What up? Why? What up, y'all? <laughs> What's up? I'm very happy to have you guys here to discuss one of my favorite movies, Congo, the 1995 film based on the Michael Crichton book. <laughs> Congo has some really cool actors, namely Ernie Hudson and Bruce Campbell. So before we talk about the movie Congo, just to kind of get things going, I wanted to ask you guys one at a time what your favorite Ernie Hudson and or Bruce Campbell roles are. Or if not your favorite, just some that are memorable to you that you really like. And I want to start with you, Jonathan.
1: Well, first of all. You didn't mention Joe Pantoliano, who's one of my favorite actors of all time. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh, forgive me. <laughs> Shout out to bad boys. Anyway, he makes his, uh, you know, small feature in here. Um, Someone hit
0: me in the head with a can of peanut oil.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so for, for Ernie Hudson, uh, I, I mean, does, his, does his, his acting career get any better than, than this and, and Ghostbusters? I mean, I went through all of his IMDb, dude. He's been
0: in a lot of movies. Some I like a lot, but these, those are two really good ones. Ghostbusters is... I mean, come on.
1: Like, everything else is like... I've never watched it. Never heard of it. No desire to watch it because it just doesn't stand out. So I, I'm going to just go with my favorites are Congo and Ghostbusters. Fair enough. As far as Bruce Campbell goes, I mean, like, I know he's famous for the evil dead and stuff you know but like i've never gotten into all that never really uh,
2: what
1: never watched him <laughs> you've never seen evil dead you've
2: never seen evil dead nope oh man you <laughs> yeah dude you, you need to get there my friend you're missing out on some I, golden... I i will
1: forever i will forever be unpopular opinion on this podcast and, Probably, And that's... <laughs> I'm always going to be the oddball. Is he replacing Alan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: the new Allen has emerged. Oh, God. Cavi,
2: what are some of yours? I mean, same. Same, same. Ghostbusters and Congo. <laughs> and I have to say, as huge of a Ghostbusters fan as I am, I got to go with his role in Congo because it's just such a main role. It's so iconic and quotable and... Speaking of Ghostbusters, he was—it was initially written for Eddie Murphy, so he had way more lines, and he was supposed to be the leading role. And then it changed, and he's talked about that a couple of times. Ernie Hudson has talked about that. So that's
0: why, like, when he comes
2: in, it's like way late in the movie because it was changed so much. Yeah, I guess, but uh, I'm—I'm not 100% sure about that. But I just feel like. He would have been so great in a leading role in Ghostbusters. And I love Ghostbusters, and I wouldn't change it, but I would have loved to seen what that movie would look like in an alternate like dimension. The, like both
0: versions, right? Yeah, I know what you mean. When when they say like a movie was going to be done this way, sometimes I'm like, well, I want to keep the existing one, but I also want that one. Right. Like, like a Snyder Cut. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but if you think about it at the time, though, there's no way an unknown Ernie Hudson would be. Star outstar a uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd and like Bill Murray, and you know, uh, yeah. But oh, yeah. I mean, I want the Murphy cut. Where's it the at? The
3: Murphy cut, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd regret that,
0: Kathy. I have a, a second question for you about Ernie Hudson. So, Ghostbusters one and two mustache or no mustache?
2: You know, I've never thought about that because <laughs> he I... doesn't have a mustache in part two, he does not. I don't care. It's never it's never <laughs> been something that I've noticed and even now yeah, it I I don't right. have an opinion. For some <laughs> reason I
3: thought that would be a bigger deal to you. <laughs> Steve, what you got? What's your answer? Um as far as Bruce Campbell goes, I I I like him in everything he's ever been in including the movies that weren't actually very good, uh but I mean of all of them Evil Dead One and Two clearly are amazing, but for me, it's an easy Army of Darkness. I mean, that's just my f- my favorite Bruce Campbell plus the dialogue from it. It's just, I mean, the whole the Boomstick bit's one of the greatest things I've ever been on film. Yeah, this um, is my Boomstick. <laughs> yes. Right, um, uh, right. As far as Ernie goes, um, we'll get to the reviews when we get to the reviews. Uh, I don't actually dislike this movie very much, but it's definitely not my favorite. Hudson. Um, Ghostbusters 1 and 2 stand out at the top but I think he also gets an honorable mention for Airheads which regardless of what anyone says about it is still an amusing movie it's, it is it's Love stupid but movie. it's funny I watched right. it recently there you go mm-hmm. see that's the thing I've, I've almost never do I meet anyone who's like oh that movie was really terrible it's like it's, it's not a great movie but it's funny it is genuinely an amusing movie to watch
1: if it's on Comedy um, Central I'm watching it right yeah. me too so
3: I think he gets honorable mention for that he also played the main police character in The Crow yeah. which is one of my favorite films of all time regardless of what else you might be able to say about it. So for me from him it's a mix between airheads I like but I'd say it's it's a tie between the Ghost Winston on in the Ghostbusters films and and The Sergeant and the Crow.
0: You know, there's some Ernie Hudson movies that not a lot of people talk about that I want to mention. Yeah. One of them is called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, no. he plays Solomon. He, it's a good movie. He was also in the basketball diaries. That's another one I was gonna mention. Yeah. Very good. He played Reggie in the basketball diaries. Right. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, he played um like a special needs guy that like a mentally handicapped guy that this family kind of like takes in and they hire him that's to do right. like odd jobs for him and uh, he ends up getting accused of a crime that he didn't commit. It's really it's it's a it's a good like early nineties, eighties like Straight to TV kind of thriller, right? For what it is, it's pretty good. <laughs> but Congo was a movie that was not liked very much upon its reception. Really, it currently stands on Rotten Tomatoes with a 22 percent critic score and a 29 percent audience score.
3: Not very mm. high praise. So to your to your point, I just want to put a little little footnote there. Um, Amy the talking gorilla was nominated for a worst new star raspberry. After this movie was produced, uh, she also got a uh, Worst Supporting Actress nomination at the Raspberry.
0: Justice for Amy. You know what? <laughs> I like Amy.
3: Amy's adorable. But at the same time, in this movie's defense, I think it also got nominated like for some Saturn Awards. It's a really strange mix. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it had some big names attached to this movie, did it not? It, it did. And, and you know, we'll get into it when we get into it. But there, actually, I've got some positive things to say about it. It's really not... The production-wise, it's actually a pretty fairly impressive film.
1: Cavi, baby's related to Harambe? a <laughs> wow. distant relative, yeah. Now we got our dicks
3: out for Harambe. <laughs> oh, is that what you're supposed to whip out for Harambe? All right.
2: It's, you've been whipping out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It actually means a gun. Kavi, what was your experience with Congo? Did you see it as a young lad? Oh, so many times. So many times. It, it's such a staple of my childhood that yeah i'm i'm completely biased about this movie i i will i do not agree with those reviews whatsoever
0: i i'm with you i watched this movie a lot as a kid with my brothers robert and tyler shout out to you guys if you're listening and yeah, my grandma owned this vhs so when i would go to her house and like spend the weekend with her which was pretty often i love my grandma shout out to grandma nancy for listening she's not but <laughs> hey she's awesome but she had this VHS, and it was like one of the first things I would put on when I would go to her house. This movie just gives me such nostalgic feels, and the score. Who does the score, Steve? Is it Goldsmith? It, it, yeah, Goldsmith. Yeah, there's some, like I said, some big names attached to this. Frank Marshall directed it, my Uncle Frank. Um, <laughs> he directed a, not, a couple other things, not that many movies, but
3: he was a big-time producer.
0: Wasn't uh, he, Steve?
3: Marshall? Yeah, Frank Marshall. Oh, gigantic. Gigantic. I mean, this guy was associated with so many different things. I mean, just just to name a few, you guys might not know all these titles, but they are all significant movies. The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, uh, Temple of Doom, The Color Purple, Back to the Future, The Money Pit, Empire of the Sun, Batteries Not Included, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Land Before Time, The Second Back to the Future, The Last Crusade, Arachnophobia, The Third Back to the Future. He also directed Arachnophobia. Yeah, Holy he directed shit. some of these as well. Uh Hook. I mean, this this guy's the Indian in the Cupboard adaptation, The Sixth Sense, Snow Falling on Cedars. This guy's been involved with an incredible list of things. And I I'm, I mean, I'm leaving off a third of his resume. There's another t- 10 years here I haven't even touched on.
0: He seems to be like a key producer at Amblin.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He works a lot with, with Amblin. Yeah. He's awesome. He's also married to a really prolific producer named Kathleen Kennedy, who was one of the producers on this film. And we'll get to that. But she's one of the reasons... This got made and he was involved.
0: She also produced a lot of great movies, same as him, and yeah, a lot of excellent work. But uh, back to Congo, I don't know if you guys remember the marketing campaign for this movie. It's part of the reason why it got such bad reception is because this movie was marketed kind of like that. Is this is the new Jurassic Park. And Michael Crichton, the best-selling
4: author of Jurassic Park. In a high-security communications control room in Houston, Texas, a young scientist watches a video transmission coming from the African jungle 10,000 miles away. What she sees is a mystery that will draw her deep into an unexplored wilderness. And into a race against time where man's missing link guards the key to the world's most advanced technology. <laughs>
3: Congo. Where you are the endangered species. Am I wrong, Steve? No, I, I would say that in a lot of ways you're absolutely right. And they... they um they really wanted to follow up on the success of jurassic park in fact t- to that point um creighton stuff had been getting adapted for the screen since 1971 when you start uh in 93 you get jurassic park and rising sun both based on his books both came out in 93 a year later in 94 disclosure based on one of his books a year later 95 congo 97, two years later, The Lost World, 98, Sphere, 99, The Thirteenth Warrior. So there's a period between ninety-three and ninety-nine where every one to two years there's at least a movie based on one of his books coming out. And after Jurassic Park became so huge, they just they were they were getting ready to crank. And this is a movie that they'd been trying to make since nineteen seventy nine. So, so the book is how old? The book was published in eighty. Um, he came up with the idea during 78 or 79. So they did
0: one of those things where they got the movie rights
3: before the book was fully written? Yeah, but that was not Crichton's desire to begin with. Crichton was a huge, huge fan of uh, what are called Lost World fantasy books. Um, The whole idea, you're thinking of this film, you're thinking of Skull Island and the King Kong movies, the whole idea with the Lost World genre is that adventurers discover some city, some place... Some some unknown spot that exists here in our world, but somehow has just been forgotten by the rest of the planet. And uh, <laughs>
0: like a, like a, like that island in X
3: Men. What's yeah. it called? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. But I mean, something similar to Skull Island from King Kong, where it's like this island's been there, and somehow society just forgot about it. And Crichton was really really a huge fan of a book called King Solomon's Mine from mines from the late eighteen hundreds. Solomon is a biblical character, there have been urban rumors, legends, myths for thousands of years since he was alive, because he was a real king, that he had diamond mines somewhere on earth that the location of has been lost. And this book, King Solomon's Mine, was really the first lost world novel and it was about adventurers basically trying to find this mine and a lost uh, team member. Um, this novel introduced a character called Alan Quatermain, who later appeared in many, many other books and was used in the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Crichton, Crichton wanted to write something along these lines. And in 79, he had a conversation with a guy who was a producer at 20th Century Fox. We talked about wanting to do something like this and talked about a book that he was about to start writing, but hadn't started writing yet. Well, this producer got so excited about the idea, he just went to Fox without Crichton's permission and sold it as a film. And um, at, at the time that happened, Crichton was so excited they wanted the idea, he basically said, fine, let's just make it as a movie. But the, the deal that they put together prevented him from actually writing it as a book. So there was a period there for like a year where I think he'd already really been working on the manuscript, but he couldn't do anything with it because he had this movie deal in place. And what ended up killing the movie deal early on was the fact that they didn't have the technology to make Amy the gorilla work. And when that deal with Fox fell apart, Crichton was free to write the novel, which he did. And, um, it took, took took years worth of wrangling and negotiating. And at one point he wanted to do this movie with Sean Connery. He'd written a book about a real event called The Great Train Robbery, which had been made into a movie in, I think, 74. Connery had been in. The two of them liked working with each other. Crichton wanted to make it with Connery. Eventually Connery got too old, and it just kept going through revisions until, I think, until Kathleen Kennedy got a hold of the book and, and was able, through her and her husband, to sell it as a project and get it turned into turned into this. They tried offering the project to Spielberg, and I think to one or two other directors first, two, two said no. And um, and it just kind of coalesced. It's very weird.
0: Wow. So yeah. the effects are something that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, they used gorilla suits, as we saw. Cavi, what did you think of the, the suits as opposed to, like, using a CGI replacement?
2: The suits were pretty good for the time period. There are a few times throughout the film with the uh, the gray gorillas that I'm like... Yeah, that does not look good, and overall, Amy looks pretty good for the most part. There's a couple times where I'm like, oh, that's costume folding right there (laughs) that I never (laughs) noticed as a kid, but, you know, looking at it now, I'm like, oh, yeah. I didn't pick up on the flaws like that. I I picked up on a couple of them. They're pretty subtle, though. They did a really good job of making it look as real as possible for the time.
0: It was Stan Winston, and he was famous for doing movies like Terminator, The Predator, he did the puppets in Jurassic Park. Oh, bad! This
3: was like a competitive thing for him a little bit because... Um, uh, it, oh, God, what was the other guy? Rick uh, Baker? Yeah, Rick Baker. Thank you. Rick Baker had built a reputation for himself in the industry for doing gorillas. Um, he'd done a famous Academy Award-winning movie called Gorillas in the Mist and, and some others as well. And they'd originally wanted him for this. And um, when, when that didn't happen... Winston saw it as an opportunity to come in and prove that he could do just as well, and at the time, people thought that was the case, but in retrospect, like, there are other puppet-based features from from roughly this time that might be more impressive.
0: That's funny, I never really thought about that, yeah, but they were competitors in a way, because...
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think there was, not that I'm aware of, that there was any like real animosity between them. It wasn't like Winston was running around screaming, I hate this fucking guy, I've got to beat him at something. But it was just like he really, from what I've read, really wanted the opportunity to prove that his shop could do that too. And it was a big deal for them to get this.
1: Hey, can I give Steve a shout out right now, dude? Like, <laughs> I really want to commend you for like being a walking fucking imdb man like a plethora of movie knowledge like this is insane like i want you people to know that he doesn't (laughs) write any of this shit down like he just knows this stuff you gotta be obsessed with wild (laughs) just came through a rain
2: mandate i was sitting here like i'm learning so much I have,
3: been called a at
1: Kmart?
3: <laughs> I have been called a savant before Cappy, but I'm not sure it was intended as a compliment.
0: <laughs> Jonathan, do you remember the marketing push for this movie? Fuck no. All right. Well, I'm going to bring you guys back. So this movie Enlighten. had some huge Taco Bell tie-ins. Not just Taco Bell, but those were some of the main ones. Taco Bell had a special burrito to promote this movie
4: now you can see all the excitement and adventure of the congo in your local theater or you can taste it at taco bell introducing the volcano burrito piled high with seasoned beef beans rice a blend of three cheeses and flowing with fiery red sauce if you're hungry for excitement get the new volcano burrito at taco bell but hurry at just 99
0: cents a taste eruption like this won't be active for long they had the Volcano Burrito
1: Taco oh, Bell uh, was bad. featured in the movie It Did was Did you to catch that yeah. scene? Yeah,
0: yeah the, the the tie-in was strong Yeah, I saw it at the beginning yeah. They had the Volcano Burrito They also sold these wristwatches and Do you remember at like fast food places? Not like Happy Meal toys But you can like pay two to five bucks To
3: get like an accessory Yeah, yeah. They it's have the wristwatches And I had one Yeah Because I loved this movie so much Right Oh, God, the wristwatches were great. I, I still have one floating around somewhere that's got Max Headroom on it.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, okay, that's old school. Right? <laughs> uh, there was also Pepsi commercials that featured Amy, animatronic Amy. And uh, some, one of the guys from Romeo and Michelle's High School Union was in it. I went and rewatched it. Blockbuster had a tie-in. They had some kind of bonus box thing. You could rent like three movies and get some candy. For this, like, certain amount of money as part of the promo for Congo. And they had, like, some Congo shit in the commercial.
4: Amy, star of the hit movie Congo, is here to introduce the new Congo bonus box from Blockbuster Video. It's full of candy, snacks, coupons, and more. All kinds of goodies. Just rent three videos from Blockbuster, and you get the Congo bonus box absolutely free. So, drop by Blockbuster Video and get your free Congo
1: bonus box. But you better hurry they're going fast yeah the blockbuster like uh special packs like that were so awesome that was so cool as a kid to like go to blockbuster on friday night or something and like Find a a deal like that and rent some movies. Like I feel kind of bad for today's kids that'll never have that opportunity. I mean, then they get they just have all that technology where they can just stream any movie, dude. definitely there's
3: something less special feeling about just bringing up a, a a graphic interface and saying, "Yeah, I'll watch that." And then everyone <laughs> sits there and they're looking at their phones instead of the movie anyway. <laughs> no, I
0: mean, there is yeah. one blockbuster left in the world. And you, well, I don't know oh, about it, the, the world. The one in
3: Alaska, the
0: world in the United States. No, it's somewhere in the. 48 Continuous States. Is it? Nine. Yeah. Um, it's... I don't remember exactly where. The, the Anger Video Game Nerd went there recently. <laughs> and some other people, like, are doing videos about going there.
3: There's a video rental store. Oh, man. I would love to give them a shout-out. Now I'm forgetting their name. I'm pretty sure they're in Portland or somewhere near there. People should Google this if you're interested enough because the store has been, been leaning back really hard on on help from the community to stay in business. But they've got... Like the largest active rental library in the United States, including obsolete formats. They've got a whole section of laser discs you can rent. It's incredible.
0: Nice. <laughs> that sounds right up your alley. It Steve. is. <laughs> for those that don't know, Steve is big into laser discs. He yeah, absolutely. For
1: some reason. I, I actually do have reasons, but this is not the forum. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that don't even know what a laser disc is, right. it's like it's like a vinyl sized DVD. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, my, my son doesn't even know how to rewind a VHS tape, you know? Uh, you like, know, that's something even I don't miss, and I'm super nostalgic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's only two movies that I can
2: recall that I've seen on Laserdisc. One was Milo and Otis, and the other one was Primal <coughs> Fear. How's that for a contrast? Oh my gosh, yeah,
1: that is a contrast. <laughs> Milo and Otis is awesome.
3: It right? is awesome. I remember being taken to see a double feature of Milo and Otis and the Little Rascals movie. Nice. Huh. <laughs>
0: I think in Milo and Otis they killed the cat while making that movie. Really, I didn't know that. What? <laughs> I think
3: so. That's so sad. It's such a cute
0: movie. I'll
2: never be able to watch that movie the same. I know, right? right? I might be, be thinking of something it's...
0: else, but I'm pretty sure it's that. Uh, uh, let us know what? in the comments.
1: <laughs> Please
0: don't. <laughs> yeah, for real.
2: <laughs> I don't. Well, let's know. get
0: into the movie itself. Let's go through it. Cavi, you can uh, kick us off. Like, what?
2: How does this movie open? We meet Charles. What's he doing? The opening of the movie starts out with a trek throughout the jungle of Congo, and then we meet Charles, who is played by none other than Bruce Campbell, and uh, it, it's a little awkward at first because he's playing it so straight, and and I'm kind of, for a minute, I'm like, wait, this is Ash. This is evil, dead Ash, and he's- uh, He
3: originally auditioned to play the Peter Elliott character, the primatologist. So think about how weird that would have been. I would have
2: been in for that. But I, 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 don't, I don't want to see him play anything straight aside like a cameo in a Spider-Man film. And, and even, and <laughs> he, even, even those though he are, doesn't play straight. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, but he he quickly, uh, you know, makes a little quip in there. I, I can't remember exactly how, th- how that goes, but he's... Karen? I read you, Charles, and I see you. Well, Eureka and all that, I found the bloody thing. What was that? That was about the usual. This whole place does the shimmy. How's the volcano? Uh, Acting very much like a volcano, thank you very much. They tell me it's fine, but frankly, I wouldn't start building condominiums. Charles, did you really find it? Chemically flawless, blue diamond illuvial. He's talking to, uh karen ross right we're, we're talking to karen and we're talking to i'm just gonna call him trump because he just kind of reminds me of trump throughout this movie the joe don baker famous b
3: actor joe don trump
2: yeah dude why does he have a golf club in the beginning he like hops off of a uh, like i'm like what is the point of this golf club and then he uses it so you know they, they pay it, it is, off you
3: know it's I, Chekhov's golf club i i i think the idea there was cuz they weren't expecting the the satellite call from charles i think the idea there is that they called him in off the golf course to come take the call and for some reason he just decided to bring the putter in with him <laughs> like he just did nine holes and he, yeah, he got pulled. He's a on. busy
1: man. He doesn't have time to put his shit down, all right?
3: right? <laughs> is that like a
2: 90s uh, trope golf course uh billionaires cuz we had the same thing with uh, White Claw in uh Rumble in the Bronx. In Rumble in the Bronx? <laughs> yeah, I mean that
3: definitely, you know, the wealthy guy spends his downtime when he's not like murdering or doing terrible business playing golf. Nice. <laughs> Jodan was- Baker is He's a guy that's been in so many bad movies. He's been in so many movies in general, and he was working a lot at this time. He was in Goldeneye like, like the same year. Really? Was? Yeah. Don't remember. Yeah, yet. he it, toward, toward uh, he played. Uh, oh yeah. The contact the FBI yeah. contact. Yeah, he was cool in that movie. He was though. cool in that mm-hmm. movie. He's actually not bad when they give him a. In fact, he wasn't bad. in this It's just a dumb part. Like.
1: <laughs> He's really good at playing a pissed off redneck. <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is. He totally like a pissed, pissed off redneck.
2: <laughs> I need those diamonds, Doctor Ross. Yeah, do you think he might own a tiger? Since we're uh, kind of in the, the vein of... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
1: if he's that kind of redneck, you know? I'm <laughs> going to say he has two white tigers. <laughs> if he
3: were 30 years younger, he could play that dude in a movie, though. Absolutely. Dude, speaking... I mean, if we're going
2: there, I mean, Nick Cage is playing him, which I think is just brilliant casting. Nick Cage is playing oh, Joe yeah. I love that. Absolutely. So. Nick Cage is
0: underrated. Oh, dude. <laughs> he's something. Agreed. Nick Cage is <laughs> amazing. people... People hate Nick Cage because they haven't seen the movies that he's perf- a perfect fit for. Maybe like Leaving Las Vegas and Mandy. It's true. And I think he's going to be a great Joe Exotic. But that's, I guess, a podcast for another day, right? Yeah, I, I remember think people my, saying my mom he bases his writer.
1: entire career off of Con Air and she fucking hates mm. Nick Cage. Con Air is amazing. <laughs> um, she will... not she won't even watch any movie with Nick Cage in it just because she hates him from that movie. Classic
3: big dumb movie episode, con air. My mother hated that movie too. I don't know if it was specifically because of him, but I remember leaving the movie theater with her and my father and my brother, and her saying something to the effect of "That was really stupid. I, I don't ever want to watch that again." And then she'd have she had, every time it was on TV, she'd have some snide comment before she changed the channel. <laughs> this motherfucker, <Switch>. right? <laughs> nah, no,
1: yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh. I mean, Face Off will forever be one of my favorite action movies of all time, speaking of Nick Cage. Agreed. Love it. Love Face Off. Yeah, it's a
3: good one. It really is. I want to take his face off. <laughs> Plus, the opening when they're setting the bomb is in the Los Angeles Convention Center, so that's fun. Steve, what is this company, Travicom, that Bruce Campbell and Laura Linney work it What is it that they're doing? So the Travicom is a communications technology company, and you don't get, in the movie at least, you don't get much of an in-depth into exactly what that means. Um, Crichton, who was a multiple master's degree holder and genuinely a genius who actually understood a lot of this shit, does go into some detail in the book in regards to what the company's supposed to be doing. Worth mentioning, the book and the film are actually pretty substantially different in certain ways. But uh Basically, it's a company that deals in like satellite communications and, um, uh, other similar endeavors. And, um, this is one area where I don't expect that they would have been as detailed as what the book was, but they, they don't do a very good job in this film explaining to you what they really want these diamonds for. Some, it's one of my, my few real criticisms of the film. Um, in the book, Creighton explains that this specific type of diamond is only found in certain parts of the world. They've been exposed to something called boron doping and without going into the science, what that basically means is these diamonds are totally worthless as gemstones. You would never want them like in a necklace or a ring, but they happen to be like the absolute world's best semiconductors for certain kinds of like lasers and other instruments. So, they're massively valuable from a commercial perspective, especially because they're so hard to find. So, what these people are supposed to be doing, what Travicom's people are supposed to be doing is trying to find a stash of these diamonds that's reported to be in this part of Africa. And in the book, they're actually competing with two or three other companies that are all trying to get to this stash at the same time. And that's really the main conflict in the book is these different corporate interests Competing with each other, sometimes violently, to be the first ones to get to these diamonds. Anyway, that's what they're, that's what they're out there doing. He's trying to get these for, for the company.
0: They touch on that briefly. Karen says, you know, don't go into your paranoid fantasies when he starts right. talking about his competition. Right. Like it's thrown <laughs> away pretty quick.
3: Yeah. He does mention that like the technology the company's currently got is enough to carry them through like the next three to five years, but they need something else that's going to be the next big bang after that. And that's what they want the diamonds for. I've got
4: 40,000 people working for me. They all depend on me. This satellite is our communications cash cow. In three years, it'll be obsolete. I need a new cash machine. This
2: diamond, this is it. I thought it was just for laser cannons.
1: Can I ask you a question about the book? Yeah. Because you've read it, right? Yeah, it was years ago, but yeah. So were they in the book also looking for the chemically flawless blue diamond alluvia or was that a fucking just a movie gig
3: in the book they refer to them as type 2b diamonds and i have no idea whether that's a real designation or not but sure. that that's the way they refer to them in the novel them diamonds got diabetes
2: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah
3: <clears throat> yeah diabetes? but diabetes they... <laughs> They call them type twos. And actually, they, they did use real diamonds for the movie instead of cubic zirconias or, or glass diamonds. And the ones they used came from a special mine in, uh, New, New York. York. Yeah. yeah. It's the only, like, one or we're one of very, very few places in the world where you can get them. And, um, I'm pretty sure that Tim Curry's character's first name is Herkimer. Dr- yeah. Is, it basically are Herkimer diamonds or something like that. And at the, in the end scene, um, Dr. Elliot throws one of them from the hot air balloon. They never recovered that one. So there's a real diamond laying around in the jungle somewhere in Costa Rica where they shot those what? scenes that he he chucked out of the hot air balloon. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> <shit>. What? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They weren't thinking about it when they filmed that scene. They could have just as easily given him a piece of cut glass and nobody would have noticed. But instead, they gave him one of these real diamonds that they had borrowed, literally borrowed from this mine in New York and were supposed to return. And when they went back to the, to the mine people, they were like, by the way, one of them's missing because we chucked it out of a hot air balloon.
1: <laughs> wow. That's a pretty big fucking oversight, man. Like right? they could have chucked a mud clod off of the off of that thing, you know.
3: Can you imagine being the producer at the studio who got the bill for that? Somebody got fired for that for sure. No, right? It was probably fired. like a thirty thousand dollar diamond. Like the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs>
0: wow that takes a chunk out of their 50 million dollar budget i guess
1: yeah i mean i
3: guess it's nothing comparatively 50 but
1: 50 for this movie yeah holy shit yeah, well after well, this after, was supposed to be a big deal
3: when after jurassic park it was like this was a michael Crichton book bang here's your money you know because yeah. I, 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 with that kind of success like you're not going to question it considering
0: that some of the names from jurassic park attached yeah they, they, they had the works they didn't yeah. have the big man wait what what was the budget Fifty million budget. Oh, okay. It okay. made one hundred and fifty-two worldwide. So I this mean, one actually made it.
3: Bearing nice. in mind, this is ninety-five. I don't have an inflation calculator open on my phone, but if you do the math, I mean, that's a, there's that's the equivalent of millions of dollars more than that in today's money. True. So Good point.
2: It's the equivalent of an Avengers film.
3: <laughs> probably, probably not that big, but I wouldn't imagine it's that far off either. Yeah.
2: Maybe an
0: early Avengers film. Yeah. 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 Iron Man one.
3: Alright, <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. So absolutely. Bruce Campbell,
0: Charles, and his friend Jeffrey, they do make the discovery of the Lost City of Zinge while they're out there. But something happens and Travicom sees that there's some kind of attack and they need to send another team in there to uh one, recover Charles, but also recover the diamonds. Now Jodon Baker is kind of his motivation is is pretty clear to the audience, I think. He doesn't really give a shit about his
2: son at all, does he? <laughs> no. Oh, I was just saying we should mention that uh, Bruce Campbell is Donald Trump's son in this because I I failed to mention that, and we should know that, yeah, it's his son, but he doesn't really care. He wants diamonds. He doesn't. (laughs) He needs his new cash cow. Diamonds.
0: I think he specifically says
1: that to Dr. Ross, that he needs that to be the next cash cow, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, Jonathan, uh, why don't you tell us about, we meet some of our other main characters I guess our, uh, our gorilla is considered a main character, Amy. So, over in Berkeley, California, what are Amy, Richard, and
1: Peter Elliott doing? So, basically, um, Dr. Elliot and Richard are kind of in this, like, robotics slash programming thing where they're creating a, a, a sign language to speech, uh, prosthetic almost.
0: Yeah, uh, would you I, call I feel it like that? they took one that was made and they, like, repurposed it for Amy the Gorilla. Yeah.
1: like, they borrowed that from, like, Terminator 2 set or something and then just slipped it over the hand of Amy. It was the same guy who
0: did Terminator 2.
1: Really? Yeah, the same oh, effects guy.
2: Nice. It's called
1: the Power Glove, just to let you guys know.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Shout out ha- to Nintendo. Um...
3: That keeps coming up in Big Dumb Movies somehow. Power Glove. <laughs> yes. Frightened yeah. had an MD and was aware of technology like that that actually exists. There's a YouTube video of people people using this stuff before. There's a guy, One guy has co- uh, cochlear implants and the speaker thing, and he actually comments in the video, like, this is the first time I've ever heard anything even um, equivalent to my own voice, which is pretty incredible. But. This
2: is the first time that I have yeah. ever heard my own voice. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right. Yeah, somebody owes
2: Stephen Hawking's a paycheck for that voice. <laughs>
3: Right, isn't it just? It sounds like the generic like nineteen ninety Apple computer voice, to talk, text to talk. <laughs> but uh, and and that the gorilla was kind of based on uh, Coco. Do you guys remember Coco, the signing gorilla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. vaguely. Yeah, that was, which is a real thing. Yeah. So, Jonathan, what are they? What what's Peter's
0: like goal? Because like at first he's trying to get funding, but uh, things kind of change for him in terms of what he wants to do.
1: I, I couldn't really follow like exactly what his goal was. Uh, I feel like he had like a few different kind of motives, but like his main thing was to um, develop this way for gorillas to communicate, right? Like in order to have gorillas communicate with each other. I think that's it. But if, Or communicate back to people. But after Amy starts to have some trouble, like yeah. she
0: starts having nightmares, which I think he says is indicating that She's regressing mentally, living in captivity, and she yeah. needs to be returned to the wild. Yeah, she she's actually got like a little
1: care. PTSD thing kind of going on where she needs to go back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you can kind of see that because she's painting like these pictures of the jungle. You know, they teach her how to paint, finger paint, and and um she's painting pictures of her home, and she somehow remembers the uh, the eye from the city of Zinj and uh, fortunately. paints that. Yeah, fortunately. Correct. Coincidentally. What For it?
0: Herkimer Homolka here,
1: the
2: Romanian philanthropist. Herkimer Homolka, formerly of Romania, free now of the chains of Chesku, traveling the world doing good.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: With a horrible Russian accent. <laughs> Dude,
3: Tim Curry's normally so fantastic. Like that character doesn't even exist in the book. Like they, they wrote him into the movie just to have the character be there. It's ridiculous. He was totally I like Curry, but totally unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. The motivation to go to Africa and the money to get there and all that was, was addressed in the novel. They already had story structure to do it with. It's just pointless. I yeah. like Hermoko, man. He's funny. I mean, I do too, and I agree with you. Like, he's amusing, and and Tim Curry was a great, great performer. But uh, the the like, it, I've always even at the same time, I'm always just, just such, a, such a pointless part. You know why? Like, why they put this character in this movie? There's no reason to do it. Traveling the world and doing
1: good, <laughs> right? I I kind of feel like without. His storyline in there, you, the movie's going to be missing a big uh, a big chunk. Even though he was like kind of a bullshit role, like right. I still feel like it was kind of relevant.
3: I, I you know bearing that perspective in mind, thinking about it, I have a feeling you're probably at least close to being right on. I I think the deal is is they decided at some point to. This was really mostly about them competing with these other companies to get there and then all the shit that happened to them on the way. So I think when they decided to eliminate that from the story, they were probably left with so little else. They were like, we need something to plug in. And that character, that character came from. That. Yeah,
1: that kind of tied in the history of, of Solomon and all that kind of stuff, too, because otherwise that story doesn't get explained. The it's city of Zange Sanj- back to Solomon doesn't get explained at all. Well, right, you know what? I'm going to go with that
3: one. That just serves as a narrator because that's the just about the only point. Otherwise, I can see. Yeah, I think you might be right about that.
0: Yeah, because really the only one interested in finding Zinge.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it just like although they would have ended up there, I don't know. It's okay.
2: <laughs> so I think the banter, the banter between him and Ernie Hudson is. Gold. I think it's hilarious. Just there back and forth throughout the whole movie. I love it.
3: I would agree with you, but I would also say banter wise, best scene in the film, my opinion, is uh, uh, Ernie Hudson and Delroy Lindau. Have some uh, coffee and cake. <sighs>
4: Have some.
3: When they go to see the corrupt general. After they when they're trying to get out of the country. Stop eating my sesame cake. Exactly. The, the exchange between Delroy Lindau and Ernie Hudson is probably my favorite scene in that whole movie. It, they were both perfect.
4: Monroe, you have the worst timing in the world. Tell me, <laughs> me about it. It blew up the president's Mercedes-Benz. Did you know that? This is a big plot. My country will be in shit for at least a year. Captain, I need that truck. You need the truck? You also need
2: ten good men
1: to the... <laughs> And then gets pissed at him for eating the sesame bread,
2: <laughs> sesame cake. If I hear the word sesame, that's automatically forever a callback. Like, like anyone. Stop eating my sesame
3: cake.
0: Stop eating my sesame cake.
4: Stop eating my sesame cake. Hmm. What are you doing in my country, bag of shit, Captain? Please. I only wish to explore and discover. This fellow is a big bag of
2: shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, besides b- that so scene
1: uh, where where he was eating the sesame cake, there is not another single scene where anybody eats anything in this like three week long journey that they're in out there. Amy
3: eats the banana mm. with the dope inside, and there's a yeah, scene at the, the beginning where Charles eats out of a ration pack. He has like one
1: bite of something. Ah, yeah. Like, how do all these people survive without eating or drinking? That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> you don't have to see it happen. It's
3: like a and d campaign. Right? It's just kind of gloss over that. Right? Well, come on. You don't stop at the part where somebody's, you know, needed to take a dump either. It's just like, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, to get back to where we kind of left off, our...
0: Our main characters that ha- all have different kind of motivations. Karen Ross wants to go to Africa to recover Charles. Peter Elliott wants to take in Amy along with Richard to return her to the jungles of Congo. And then Herkimer Homoka, who is kind of funding this trip, is actually trying to find Zinch. Minus the gas. <laughs> Minus the $56,000 airplane
3: fuel. Yeah, I mean, so that's part of the weird part about this is like, well, I mean, first of all... Like, to change from the book, Elliot got recruited by Ross in the book because she needed somebody who could, who could help her. And they, she figured that there were gorillas there and she needed a gorilla expert. But, like, the Homoka character is supposed to be financing this trip. They get to the point where they're getting on the plane and he realizes he can't pay for the fuel. So, like, she comes in with cash. You could argue he gets a ride on the plane because he'd financed everything up to that point except for the fuel. But then they keep him with them the rest of the trip, and it's like, yo, he's not paying for anything anymore. Why is he still with you? Like,
1: he paid for the taxi to the airport. <laughs> right? I I had a hard time like uh, understanding how these three separate storylines all figured out that they all needed to get on the same fucking plane within a matter of like only hours. You know, it's like yeah. I get it. Like, Doctor Elliot had that big like press conference, right? <laughs> And showcasing the the sign language uh, um, translation, uh, sign to speech. So how did Dr. or this other fucking Hermoka fucking Frappuccino guy, like find out about that and then decide like, oh, yeah, so he's going to totally take her back to the city of Zinj and and so I'm going to finance that and go with them. And then Dr. Ross also says, oh, you know what? They're going to take that fucking gorilla back right to the exact same GPS location that I got to go recover Charles at.
3: When I, I mean, the, the book explains Ross's involvement by saying she suspects that these gorillas are going to be there and she seeks out Elliot because she wants an expert to be with her on the trip. Which makes sense, but then like. But these guys don't know about the gray gorillas yet. Well, that she, they could see in the beginning the footage of the gray thing streaking by, and there's a moment. Yeah, where, yeah but they,
1: they had like a thermal image though.
3: Yeah, no, when you could see the, the, the gray fur in one yeah. part, and Ross is kind of convinced even before they know it's true that what they'd seen yeah. is a gorilla.
1: She yeah. even argues with Elliot about it. but um, Yeah, because 1995 satellite fucking video conferencing <laughs> was great from the Congo, Yeah, well, right? there
3: also should have been like a three-minute delay on that feed that somehow doesn't exist. <laughs> but like, yeah. um, but it, it, at least the book sort of attempts to explain she thinks there's going to be gorillas there and wants an expert with her. Um, but the Homolka character just shows up at Peter's lecture, and then he notices that Amy's been painting pictures of the Eye of Zinj. So it's like you're right about that for sure. Like but how? It's way chancy. Yeah, exactly. Well, he, chancy. Got,
0: he got the photo out of Time magazine.
3: Oh man, that's what it was. So yeah. he went seeking out Elliot because he'd seen the photo in Time.
1: Yeah, her paintings uh, got... were in the background of that photo. Yeah. Oh, okay, I get the tie-in now. It's okay, I've seen this
0: movie a lot. Caddy, <laughs> <laughs> we get our characters arriving in Central Africa. Not before, of course, Amy drinks a raindrop drink on the plane, but green drop
1: drink. Amy, want green drop drink? No. Amy, want green drop drink? All right, all right. Raindrop, raindrop? Yeah. Oh shit! I thought they were saying green drop. It, it's green. It's green drop.
2: It's green drop. I had to put on the subtitles because I've always called it raindrop as well. Yeah. And the reason why it's green drop I've is no way um, the olive. Oh my god, the, the olive is green. It, yeah, so. I've always
3: had this argument. Yeah. Like raindrop makes no sense. It's got two green olives in it. Like, (laughs) holy shit. This is mind-blowing for me. (laughs) I've called it a raindrop
0: drink on another episode of our podcast when we happened to bring up Congo. Oh, yeah,
3: absolutely. (laughs)
1: So so the more startling fact is not the fact that it's a raindrop or a green drop drink, but, you know, that a fucking gorilla is (laughs) drinking martinis. Getting lit on the plane. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Like, why didn't they They should have, like, had her sign, like, extra dry or something, you know? (laughs) Oh, God, that'd be great. Shaken. Yeah. Shaken, not stirred. And I could use a steak and six or
3: seven green drop drinks right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Cavi, they they do
0: arrive in Africa, and um, why don't you tell us about, like, Kind of what's going down around
2: this area and who we meet. Well, I do not remember his name, but it is the uh, police chief from Bad Boys is who we meet, Joe Pantoliano. And he's kind of Eddie th- Ventro. Yes, Eddie Ventro. Yes, yes. Um, and Eddie is kind of uh, the guy that can get shit done. And he gets uh, they get in, and all of a sudden there's an explosion, and we find out that they bomb the president's car. And then we get to meet Ernie Hudson's awesome character, Monroe Kelly. <laughs> Monroe <laughs> Kelly, yes. And um, yeah, he's he's active out the gate. Pulls out a gun. You know, uh, Grand Theft Auto immediately pulls a soldier out of his car, tells him to run away. <laughs> takes takes the truck. I mean, go on, we're, man, we're, run away. We're James Bond mode <laughs> um, uh, immediately. James Bond mode immediately. Switch apports. Oh, shit, why? Bomb the president's car.
0: Where's the president's car?
2: Yes. Did they get him? That's the
4: bad news. No, they didn't. I hope you folks have lots of money. We do. See, mama. Thank you. Now, run away. Oh, come on, man. Run away. Get in the back. What about our equipment? Alrighty that sorry.
3: moment makes no sense he, he he just took a truck from a soldier like a member of the the national military at gunpoint and later when he gets gets caught in the truck with these other people they're not like hey you you Stole one of our trucks at gunpoint. Like nobody seems to give a shit. Even did it.
0: Things seem very chaotic in Africa. They at do. least in that part of Central Africa. That I feel in. like
1: that whole scene, that whole airport scene, is just so unnecessary. Like they could have just been like, "Hey, shit's fucked up around here." There's All just right, some war going on. <laughs> I, a I like
0: to see it personally. I like to like. There's an explosion in the background. There's chaos. Everyone's running around. You can just like. Steal a truck from a guy. That I I like
1: what they do. A random car just blowing up on the airstrip? Like come on. Why was the president's limo sitting around on the airstrip? Don't think about it. <laughs> that's a good point.
2: Just, <laughs> just just know that it was it was all about uh they knew that they had deep pockets, which is why they didn't end up um in jail for long. They just ended up in custody. Yeah, for you a just gotta bit. pay off and, the right guys. I like the way
0: Monroe <laughs> Kelly puts it. He says he says the government around here, they live to settle scores, and they got a lot that of scores to settle. to settle. Yeah. And, they, <laughs> and Joe Pantoliano says uh, the Kaigani have had it with Zaire, and they're eating people. <laughs> to kind of illustrate the, how brutal the
3: conflict is. That shit's real. I saw a Vice video about that like two weeks ago. There's these, these cannibal warlords in certain parts of Africa. I'm not trying to stereotype and make it out like that's what everyone's doing there, but there are people, people doing that. It's fucking crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, albinos get eaten. Yeah. Which is crazy. That that's insane. Also, I like his line where he's like, Unfortunately, they didn't get the present. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Is it? <laughs> like, it is it any
1: more insane to eat a non-albino? <laughs> I don't know, they don't taste as good. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that made my head hurt. I'm like trying to process that. I'm like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know. Albinos are supposed to have magical powers or something like that. I I really don't know. I've just heard about it. Yeah. I've not done the research. I am not the walking
3: encyclopedia. That, it, that albino people aren't the magic.
1: Pl- the plethora of useless knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> I'm a vault for useless knowledge. Would
1: you say
0: Steve has a plethora of knowledge?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. He has. Oh a pl- yeah.
0: <laughs> then Jonathan, what is a plethora? You said he has a plethora. What is a pleasure? I just know the term,
1: man. I don't know the fucking
0: word. <laughs> no, it's from the movie Three Amigos. Oh. <laughs> I prefer cornucopia. Yeah. You guys don't know Three Amigos? All right, whatever. Moving on. I know Three Amigos. This is a good that one. That really went off the rails. So our gang is kind of traveling here. They, they're going. They're trying to head to Congo, but it's a, it's a difficult journey. They go to Tanzania, and they gear up. Joe Pantoliano comes through with the gear and the, uh, the men. They get a bunch of mercenaries led by Kahega, who I love. He's awesome. He's cool. And around this time, it's kind of exposed that Herkimer Homoka, his real goal is to get to the city of Zinj. And er- Ernie Hudson kind of starts, like, calling him out publicly. And in a moment that I really like, um, Herkimer Homolka starts telling him to, like, shut up. He goes, shut up, you fucking... And he gets in his face. Filthy. And he, oh, really? <laughs> Filthy.
2: <laughs> I knew he wasn't a Romanian philanthropist.
4: Oh, he's a Romanian, and he has done a lot of good, but mostly for Mr. Hamok. Shut up, you filthy... Filthy wallet Forgive me. Bullet, that traveling has left me shaken. Think nothing of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, he starts to say the N-word, yeah. it seems like, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. I had the
0: subtitles on. And, and he gets in his face, it. and he's like, fucking what? And it's like, oh, shit. This dude is badass. Such a (laughs) badass moment. (laughs) Ernie Hudson is just cool in this movie. (laughs) Except for he fucking gives Amy cigars, man. That wasn't
3: cool. He's got a gorilla two inches
0: away from his face.
3: That's a scary thought. Also, Amy seems really, really content after a few puffs, and I don't think that's a cigar.
0: Oh, that's a good point. So yeah, like a, It's
3: like a big, fat, like, spliff, I think it's a dude. really <laughs> giant spliffer joint, yeah.
2: <laughs> Cavi, is it weed? It, possibly. Isn't she, like, seven years old in this film? Yeah. I
3: think, <laughs> Is that grown for a gorilla? Nice. I, that's pretty close to maturity anyway, yeah.
2: I have no idea how gorilla <laughs> ears work. I, is it like dog
3: ears? Because I have no idea. I think they live into their, like, mid-30s, something like that. So seven is pretty mature. Oh, okay. Fun fact. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm only I 30. may be a little bit off there, but I'm I think that's pretty close. She's
1: being like a teen rebel, drinking and smoking, <laughs> staying <laughs> right. up late at night,
3: going off. They didn't
2: live like they don't live for thousands of years, like in the Bible when people live for
3: thousands of years. <laughs> uh, look, don't get me started on that conversation. I'll piss somebody off. <laughs> 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 right.
1: Did anybody have a hard time with the fact that, that, that Dr. Ross used a fucking flare gun to shoot down the heat-seeking missile from and an open-door a plane? No, I love that scene, actually. Like, it is cool. Yeah, no, like, Same. it was badass. Like, it's not fucking possible, but it was badass. <laughs> is it? It's not? I wouldn't think so dude you're flying like 300 miles an hour or something and like you have an open door and you're shooting a flare gun at a heat missile I'm not saying it
3: would work because I have no idea but I will note that sulfur flares actually are I believe if not the hottest among like the three or four hottest burning things man has ever created they are incredibly hot.
1: Oh, I, don't, I, I get it now. Like, I thought they were just, like... I thought she was, like, shooting at them. Oh, no, Like, no. and timing them, but now right. it makes the sense, idea, dude. Yeah, the, the idea is supposed to be... Out the the
3: flares. Yeah, the idea is that if they were closer to a hotter point, they'd hit the flares. Now, again, I'm oh, not saying that would definitely work. I have no idea if it would or not, but that's that's the principle.
1: I totally but. change everything about that scene <laughs> right.
0: I love it. So you're talking
3: about when
1: they're
0: yeah, on the plane, and, look, I just got to point this out again. This is not your ask-for-the-manager kind of Karen. Like,
1: this is... <laughs> no, she's a
3: person named Karen, not a Karen. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> By Why the is way... Difference? She, is Speaking to her badassness on the show uh, Ozarks, she is a fucking badass, she, dude. Is. Laura Linney? I haven't seen that show. Dude, watch it. I just binge-watched all three seasons uh, over the last few weeks, and she's awesome. That's awesome. I'll check it out. Dude. Yeah, I want to give props to Laura Linney. She,
0: she's really like, she, she's really good in what she is. And she's, this is like peak Laura Linney. She's like, She's strong. She's beautiful. She's, she's really the full package.
1: And I, think- I was kind of offended that Amy kept calling her ugly, man. Like she was pretty hot. I
3: know, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I do like that Elliot underlines that Amy's kind of insensitive and she just needs to be or, or oversensitive and needs to be able to do that. But like, I think to your point, Crichton, Crichton has done a pretty good job, at least from a guy's perspective of writing female characters. Um, now I'm blanking on on the actress's name who played Sadler. and Laura Les, Dern. Laura Different Dern, Laura. thank you, Laura Dern. Yeah, so she she did really well. It's another good part. Um, the lead female character in Sphere, whose name I'm forgetting, was played by, um, oh crap, what's her name from Fatal Instinct? Uh, or not uh, uh, Basic Instinct? Basic Instinct. Um, Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone, thank you. Sharon Stone played that character in that movie, and not a great movie, not an amazing performance, but it, again, at least an, another intelligent, like strong, capable female character, which is cool,
2: right. Yeah, she's she's no Ripley, but she's awesome. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed the hell out of her in
3: this. Ripley movie. and Sarah Connor are clearly the queens. I mean the two of them just kick every other female character's butt ultimately, including Dr. Ross, but she's still awesome.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I like Sarah Connor, is probably like my favorite strong female protagonist.
3: Yeah, well I mean look, between her and Ripley, one of them fights Terminators and the other fights Xenomorphs, and you don't really get a lot more badass than either of those, so <laughs>
0: I like Sarah Connors like she's like troubled though, you know, in like T two, like she yeah, she kind of has an arc. She at first she seems I don't know like insane
3: in a way no I mean. absolutely it's driven her kind of crazy and she's the only one that really knows what's coming it's cassandra syndrome you know and it's like that we've had that discussion but like yeah absolutely it really underlines that much further how ridiculous her kind of dispassionate i don't even really give a shit that john is dead performance was in dark fate but, <laughs>
1: but anyway. sarah, sarah connor also had like uh um she was really kind of like minimalistic in as far as what she had available to her and had to like make everything do with with what she could, you know, yeah. and then you get like, like Dr. Ross, like she's got 19 fucking cases of like lasers and perimeters and, right. and you know, machine guns and all this crazy technology. And like, so kind of she's backed You're up right. by the technology a technology rather than just straight survival instinct and, and badassness.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sarah's really a survivalist at her core. All right. That's a good point.
2: <laughs> Although, since we're talking about strong female protagonists, I got to give a shout out to Uma Thurman in Kill Bill.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yes, Beatrix is definitely an awesome character. Wiggle your big
1: toe.
3: <laughs> I love that yes. she steals the pussy wagon. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> it's so <right>? good. <laughs> My name is Buck,
0: and, and I like to the fuck. fuck. No, I like the TV version better. <laughs> yeah, I and, like uh, the party. Yeah, is what
3: he says. It's so good. <laughs> What? I I need to see that. I just recently purchased – we're way off topic now, but I'm going to add this one last comment. I just recently purchased uh, a a new version of – or a new-ish version of RoboCop on Blu-ray because it had a ton of extras and shit, one of which is a TV cut of the film. And for some reason, when they were redubbing dialogue for the TV cut, there's a part where the police captain calls uh, one of the guys in the station a scumbag. Which to me is it's not a nice term, but it's not a curse word. And for some reason the T V broadcasters found the word scumbag so offensive they redubbed it as crumbag. <laughs> I find that really funny. Hey, crumbag. Exactly. He goes your your cli- He says you're a crumbag and your client's a crumbag and I want you two out of here now.
1: <laughs> That's like in Blazing Saddles on the T V version, they edit out the farting scene yeah. sitting around the campfire. So what? ridiculous. <laughs>
2: Dude, have you guys seen speaking of RoboCop? I'm sorry. We're going we're going way off the rails Whoa, now, but every time. Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat 11, the fatalities oh. that uh, they have RoboCop on there and the fatalities are amazing. Dude, I spent that's all
3: 2 hours yesterday watching videos of that and the Terminator fatalities. Honest to god, I'm buying that game. Like, spawns in it too. Really? Absolutely. Yes. Spawn, RoboCop and Terminator are all playable characters in Mortal Kombat 11. So <laughs> It's crazy what they do, man. It is.
0: To get back to Congo... <laughs> uh, their plane, like Jonathan was uh, talking about, is being fired upon by locals who do not want them to cross into Congo just because it's such like a war-torn area of Africa. They do have to parachute out of the plane. Now, you, you get each person... like You kind of understand their character by how willing or not willing they are to jump out of a plane... I like. We haven't talked about Richard much, but he is such a little bitch. But I think he's good in the movie because there would be someone like that. Like, like that would probably be me in real life.
3: Like, they give Richard the parachute and he goes, "Oh no!" Like, (laughs) he's great. He was in a ton of movies in the early and mid '90s. I don't know where he went. He was in True Lies too and like ten other really high-profile things. And I end up. I feel horrible for that character every time I watch the movie. He did not want to go. From from the moment Elliot brought it up, he's like, "I don't want to go to Africa. I have no interest in going to Africa." He gets dragged there anyway. He gets dragged on this thing. They keep it, one place after another. He doesn't want to be. Can I please just go home? There's really no reason at all. His character had to be there. He really, there was no point. I mean, I guess Elliot maybe needed a little bit of help with Amy, but aside from that, that character was unnecessary for their trip and then in the end he gets his eyes gouged out and murdered <laughs> and it's like what the fuck this is the one guy there who should have been allowed to live like and nobody cared too
2: when he died it was like eh, we gotta leave him yeah and that's we, true he, no he, he one he never cares. gets brought up again yeah, even his
3: best friend no there was one moment where Rich, or where Elliot's like oh Richard and Ross is like nah just leave him let's
1: go well that's what he gets for playing such a little bitch role all the time like <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> Get a good fucking role one time. You won't die. I mean, he's not a leading man. He never will be. No. So
0: he's he's well, that's never going to be Monroe
1: Kelly. Step <laughs> it Poor up, God. dude.
0: But I think he's perfect for what he does. And like I oh, said, yeah, people no. are jumping out of the plane. Tim Curry has to be pushed out because he's... Kicked out by Kahega. <laughs> yeah. He has
1: to get pushed harder.
0: Harder, please. <laughs> so Karen stupid. just jumps out. Peter Elliott's reluctant, but he does it. And I, and I like him because like he's... He's a primatologist. He feels like, I think, they don't say this, but he should be able to go on this expedition in Africa without making a fuss about it. Because, I mean, he studies gorillas, after all, in their habitat. And you can tell, like, he's scared by things, but, like, he never is like, oh, fuck this.
1: Right. I think he has, like, like an inner sense of obligation to make sure that it goes well. Absolutely. And he's, like, our altruistic kind of, like, true and blue
0: kind of guy. Even when, like, there's imminent threat of gray gorillas he doesn't even want to hold the gun hey you I know mean, he does but he doesn't want to
1: when when i first started watching this movie um i totally mixed up dylan walsh with um uh steve guttenberg from short circuit <laughs> yeah, like man. dude they're like they could totally play
3: interchangeable <laughs> oh, characters yeah. gutenberg would have been a nice touch in this right steve Absolutely. I know you're a Gutenberg fan. I'm a huge Gutenberg. My grandfather directed a TV movie called The Race the Wind with Steve Gutenberg in it. Oh, nice. It's not a good TV movie. With respect to my grandfather, I'll just say that up front. Like, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For those that don't know, Steve comes from a true Hollywood family.
1: Right. It's true. Hey, um, er- Ernie also jumps from the plane. With the with fucking Amy like just bear hugging him, but she's like passed out, dude. How the fuck do you jump from a plane with like a thousand pound gorilla just bear hug dead weight and and not have like an extra parachute? Like they had to have like hit the fucking ground.
3: <laughs> half of them, especially Elliot, land completely the wrong way and probably would have broken their legs. They also do this typical trope. This happens in movies all the time, where like half of them jump out of the plane and then the remainder of them spend a minute and a half having a conversation, even at a slow pace, the plane's going over 100 miles an hour. So, if you spend 90 seconds in there debating with each other about who is and isn't going to jump, by the time you actually do jump, the first people to have gone out are miles behind you. Yeah,
0: I was thinking about that with the equipment coming out. Right? Because the equipment goes out first, five minutes later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The only way that works, like when they do it military style, is if everybody gets out of the plane inside of like 15 seconds of each other, so that you all land in basically the same place like yeah uh.
0: but yeah i agree with you jonathan that gorilla like he has the gorilla wrapped around him and he like walks to the edge of the, of the plane where the hatch is open and he
1: jumps out that yeah. ain't happening man no way how strong is this dude i mean he's a big guy but he's not a thousand pound <laughs> you know carrying a gorilla it's is it possible he he's a terminator <laughs> no, he's a ghostbuster Oh, no, that's true that's even
0: better <laughs> exactly all right, Anyways. so our, our game continues to travel. Cavi, um, Peter has a leech on his dick, doesn't he?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, this is the best he... Uh, <laughs> Segway. Monroe gives him, I'm going to like tabby top, Monroe gives him the cigar to burn the, the leech off his dick, and then he gives the cigar back to Monroe. Like, I don't... You just burn something off your dick with that. I don't want it.
4: That's a leech. But take it off. i going to take it off. It's your leech, you take it off. Need some help? No. Yeah. <laughs> burn it off with of this.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. That's kind of homophobic. Like, he didn't really, like... He didn't, like... Yeah, like, he didn't rub the... Yeah, bro, the, it's not gay. Tip. What are you doing? He, no, he, no, it's not
3: even... It's he, not meant to be homophobic. It's not an ew-gay thing. It's just an ew. You touched your dick with that. I don't want it in my mouth. Like, I don't Yeah, know. but he
1: didn't touch his dick with the, the, the smoke inside. He burnt okay. it with the cherry. Monroe then just takes it and throws it away. So, clearly, yeah. he agreed with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know
0: what? Maybe it's because he didn't want to have, like... <laughs> Leech remains? They didn't want to smoke leech remains? On it. <laughs> uh, fine. It's, it's not cool. going to be any worse than what he's got in there. I don't think he cares about the dick part of it.
4: <laughs>
0: uh, Alright,
3: maybe. I don't know.
0: Anyway, Cavi, we get to meet the...
3: Maybe it
1: smelled like pubes. I don't know.
3: <laughs> I mean, they have, they have been hiking through the Congo for several days at this point without bathing. So... <laughs> I see crotch rot. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. In it's, a very humid, hot environment. Yeah, it's gonna be gross down there. It is gonna yeah. be gross down there. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. All right. What's
2: going on with the Mizumu ghost people tribe, Cabbie? I feel like the Matrix Two, the uh, they ripped off this scene a little bit. I don't remember like that the, movie the, super well. The, How? I I just I just see parallels of of like the kind of movement and dance scene with the Matrix part two. I just see like some parallels in there. I don't know.
1: I was I curious think, to whether this was that was actually like a real uh tribal ritual or is that something that they made up for the movie Dude, me too. Steve? Me
3: too, enlighten me too. Um I don't know that much about African tribes, but I do know as I mentioned before that Crichton Crichton held multiple advanced degrees, including one in medicine and I think one in engineering and uh, was quite a learned sociologist as well. So if he wrote in this stuff, I would bet that it may not be accurate to the actual reality, but that something
1: like that exists. I like there think. has to be like some truth to the idea of what they were doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I would think so. I mean, and there were definitely, I remember learning in like sociology and, um, uh, cultural classes and stuff that like, there were groups that, that believed it was possible to bring a soul back to a body. And all the yeah. 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 Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: just just to note this scene is way cooler than the one in the matrix which makes no sense whatsoever it's just like okay we're just gonna have this crazy party scene now and um oh
3: the party in zion exactly exactly i see see what you're saying now
2: i don't know like the something about it made me think of that that scene for whatever reason but um, I, I, the the like music or the the chanting is is amazing and like the way that it was mixed and put together, I think it's it's a great scene. And um, dude literally screams himself to death once he sees Amy, which is I I didn't even know that was a thing.
0: Yeah, you can the guy that they're trying to, to resurrect, he's one of the, the Travicom guys, right? Yeah, he's the yeah, one yeah, Bob
3: Charles was with. Yeah, Bob. Well, I thought he was with Jeffrey. Or maybe no, maybe he was with Jeffrey. So he was a, he was a different guy. Never mind. But another Travacom dude, yeah.
1: Yeah, he basically had, like, just this this gnarly PTSD. And then when he saw Amy, he, like, screamed himself into a seizure and, like, I don't know. <laughs> Scared to literal death. Yeah. <laughs> shook.
2: <laughs> Hashtag shook.
0: <laughs> uh, so they continue to travel. They're head in closer and closer toward the, the Virunga region of Congo, which is the place they're seeking out to deliver Amy and also recover Charles. They take some rafts. They get attacked by a by a hip-hop anonymous, don't they? Hip-hop? Hip-hop anonymous?
4: Damn you! You'll get him the easy ones!
3: Wait, what happened? Did you see hip, hip, hip hop
1: anonymous
0: <laughs> hip hop anonymous yeah, Good daddy <laughs> <laughs> why he always get the easy ones? <laughs>
3: <laughs> they get attacked by a hip hop anonymous, oh, Gabby that's right yeah this this is one of the one of the scenes that actually they did adapt from the book sort of they get attacked by by a hippo while they're on their boats. Which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I was always a huge fan of the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. Yeah. And I I really, otherwise, I'm a big fan of the whole Lost World. Like, Lost in the Jungle, all these big animals, and the hippo attack. Super fun. I really dug that. Um, Crichton likes that kind of thing. There's a scene in the original Jurassic Park novel that they sort of, sort of did a version of in 2, but not properly... Um, where the it's really it's Grant and the two kids from the first one end up on a boat going through part of the park um, where they pass on a river through an aviary where there are prehistoric flying animals like pterodactyls and they get attacked by the pterodactyls um, so Crichton Crichton likes writing in these moments where like the animals attack they did that in 3 3 that's what it was but the scene in 3 was kind of like we're going to take this idea from the book but nothing else about the scene is going to be like what Crichton wrote you know what I mean so it was, it was not, a, not a great adaptation.
0: Right. I think the hippo thing is just to kind of show, that, like, just to add another bit of peril along oh, the way. Oh, yeah. And the animatronic is really good.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is this kind of thing is kind of core to the whole idea of the Lost World genre, which is what he was aiming for to begin with. Absolutely. That, like, we've got to get the animals are posing a problem along the way. we got to fight them, too.
0: Well, things kind of escalate, because when they first start traveling, like... <laughs> One of the scary moments, and the score tells us that it's a scary moment, is when he sees a snake.
2: Kahega sees
0: a snake, and he just, like, cuts his head off. Right. But, like, things kind of continue to escalate. They get more and more dangerous as they travel.
1: Right. Why why were they on the rafts at night on a river anyways, you know? You, like, think that would be the same... They would be pulling over and camping, just like they did all the previous nights.
3: <laughs> Considering how many aggressive and predatory animals there are in that part of Africa that would be out at night, 100%, yeah.
1: <laughs> they needed filler.
0: Right. Well, eventually they encounter some wild gorillas. And some silverbacks, yeah. I think they look really good. I I, Those are um, dead. I personally am a fan of the way all the gorillas look in this movie, but to me, like they look real because... Real gorillas, to me, also look fake. I know that's a weird statement. I can see that. Like, when I see a real gorilla at a zoo, to me, they look kind of like fake.
3: There's almost something (laughs) rubber-esque, like rubber skinnish about their faces, I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. They look like animatronics to me. But, yeah, I think the real gorillas are pretty cool. And it's a funny moment when Monroe tells Peter, like, don't move and don't run,
3: but then he runs. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, they're, they're frightening, man. I mean, I'm, I, they're very interesting, but they are scary. Uh, Amy tries to talk to them, but uh, they can't talk,
0: and they seem very bored and disinterested with her. <laughs> and we get, like, the sad Amy. She, like, looks down and then, like, looks up at the camera. Yeah, Amy's having trouble making friends. Felt <laughs> bad for her. <laughs> they work it out, though, They right? do. Yeah. It gets better
3: in the end. Mom was right.
0: Uh, So they do continue to travel, and they finally stumble upon the city of Zinge, Cavi. What do you think about this bit, and uh, what happens?
2: Uh, Before we get there, there's something that I wanted to mention that I found kind of ironic, and I wonder if uh, there's any connection, but this movie came out in what, 94, Uh, 95? 95. So there's a moment where... Uh, they land and amy's like tickle amy tickle amy <laughs> and it sounds so much like tickle me elmo oh my god and tickle me elmo came out in 96 so i wonder if that was it's it's very very close it's the classic like, tickle me the sound me amy. and everything yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah jungle tickle
0: oh. me tickle me
1: <laughs> who the fuck wants to be tickled nobody
3: oh, <laughs> Little kids occasionally, but yeah, otherwise, no.
2: City of Zinj kind of reminds me, and it's been so long since I've seen the show, so. But, like, the face kind of reminds me of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Oh, yeah. Is that, (laughs) and so I'm, like, kind of having that nostalgia. I remember it as a kid where I was like, this is kind of like the temple, the Legends of the Hidden Temple. And so it looks really cool. And um, they find, like, this secret path and some hieroglyphics on the wall. And all that is really cool. I'm sure Mr. Walking Encyclopedia can tell us all about hieroglyphics and stuff.
3: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) A lot of that was really neat. Uh, I I agree with you, Cappy. And, again, I'm a huge fan of the Lost World thing and the Hidden Temple idea and blah, blah. So it's very neat for me. Um, The one thing I guess I'd mention is even though I, I... I, can, I don't dislike it entirely, but I can see what they're getting at. Some of the people involved in the special effects and the costuming complained about the, the most interior part of that set, where they actually find the gorillas living in those little caves, because there's virtually nothing in there. It's mostly just the rock and some water, and um, there's no foliage, and it, it made it very, very hard for them to control the light in a way that they found conducive to using the costumes so people don't really think about, but, like, when you're trying to make something fake look real, the way you control the lighting is a huge aspect of pulling it off, and they just couldn't do it the way they really want to do. They also had nothing much in there, aside from a few extra rocks that they could use to obscure the appearance of the the gorilla costumes. And um, they, they really need that, because they don't want you looking dead on at these costumes for too long. The one real, real asterisk there was that the designers really had spent a ton of time on the faces and they had decided to combine elements of gorilla faces, chimp faces, and human faces in order to make the greys look like something that might actually be able to exist but doesn't and they never really got the opportunity to do close-ups and a lot of the detail that went into making those faces was just never seen on screen because in order to keep them from looking too fake they just resorted to a lot of quick shots of the gorillas doing things like jumping or running across the camera. So you miss out on a lot of the effort that went into making the costumes.
1: There was only one really good facial shot that they showed towards the end of that whole like That's right. fight in there. And it was like like a two to three second shot straight on of, of this. like It seemed like an, an older uh, one of the gorillas kind of maybe like... Up on the the alpha scale a little bit. Um, but I I thought it was just fucking ugly, man. Like, I thought they were (laughs) terrible designs. Like, like you you didn't think they looked good? You mean ugly in terms of like horror? Like, like, no, like, as it was just a bad job. Oh, man. I, I, I didn't appreciate the, the facial uh, uh, artistry going yeah. on on those gorillas at all.
3: I mean, I tend to agree in that I didn't love the way they looked, but I also kind of wonder if they'd had more aesthetic control over the way the costumes appeared, if it would have looked any better. I, I really don't know.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, the lighting's very flat on them. They don't... It, it's not dramatic. Right. So I think that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't serve to make them look better. I... I I agree. I'm not a big fan of uh, the way they look. As a kid, I was like, "Oh, this looks amazing!" But <laughs> looking at it now, I'm like, eh, "This doesn't look so
3: great." When you're so much less critical when you're young. Like, there's a there's a moment in the first Jurassic Park where the uh, raptors are about to kill um, what's his name Muldoon or whatever the the, the park gamekeeper. Um, they're, they're about to kill him and you can clearly see if you look that one of them is just a giant rubber head that somebody is stretching the jaw on to make it look like it's about to bite Muldoon, you know, but I'd never noticed it for years and then there's like the, the original alien, the xenomorph costume is amazing but there are a couple of moments where you can absolutely tell it's just an eight-foot dude in a black vinyl costume, <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, they don't always quite get it.
0: you're right because when you see the gray, one of the gray gorillas around here for the first time they enter his and he, he, Completely destroys Richard and Claude from Mbassa. But (laughs) have have you ever been to Mbassa? I have not. What do you know? (laughs) What do you know about it? (laughs) But the way the first gray is shot is like the camera starts like the frame rate changes dramatically. Yeah. So like you can't really see what's going on, and I think it was because it probably didn't look good in the original version, so they had to.
1: I yeah, really right. didn't like that scene at all. That whole slow motion blurry thing where you just hear like random gunshots going and knives and machetes yeah. and stuff. And it was just like, it, it was, I instantly got the feeling that they didn't have a good productive like, uh, shot there. And that's why they did this. Yeah. Mess. They were definitely correcting
0: something. Yeah. I, I
3: think it was definitely that and a, a combination of wanting to make that scene seem frantic. And like, oh my God, what's going on? The gorillas are here. Everyone's all over the place and screaming and yelling, and nobody knows what's quite what's happened. But you, you, I agree with you guys. Ultimately, the effect didn't really come off.
0: So after they do encounter the greys, they retreat back to their camp. And Jonathan, maybe you can tell us about what they have going on at their camp because the, they have pulled
2: out all the stops here. Yeah, um, can I can ahead, I interrupt go. for just one second? Uh, there's there's this one part where Ernie Hudson. Has an M sixteen in his hand, and he's wearing a backpack. And I just can't help but draw <laughs> parallels to Ghostbusters before they like. I'm looking, and I'm like, he totally looks like a Ghostbuster right now. So I, I just had to bring that if up. If only right they had given enter. him
3: the laser. Yeah, there, there is.
1: A,
2: Dude, yes,
3: I had that note totally. <laughs> There's also a distinctive lack of Slimer in this movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hey, speak, oh, speaking of backpacks, did you check the, um, the branding on Amy's backpack that holds the speakers? No. It was that brand called No Fear. Oh, you remember that? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what a product of its time. I had some yeah. really
3: dumb No Fear shirts.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so did <laughs> I. And then they changed it. No Fear changed into SoCal and like everybody wanted to wear SoCal shirts and stuff, you know? Anyways, uh, it was random uh, a product placement of the time, you know? God, yeah. Bad boy. That would have
0: been cool, too, right? You remember the guy? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Muscles,
3: too. And big dog. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yep, yep, (sighs) yep. Jonathan, what do they have going on at their camp with all their high-tech
1: shit? So at this point, um, Dr. Ross pulls out. Even more crazy fucking technology that, that, um, she shouldn't. I don't know. Maybe it was left there from before. From, from Richard. Some of it was, there's a moment
3: at the beginning where she's on that phone call with Richard and he plugs a diamond into his transmitter. Charles. And she, Charles. Sorry. Yeah. And shows, shows himself burning some plants.
1: Yeah, that gun, I, so, obviously, yeah. yeah, she got that. I knew that. But, like, uh, I mean, she set up uh, this entire laser perimeter around the camp oh, and with yeah. these automatic machine guns that track down whatever like crossed the perimeter. Yeah, they, like motion sensors. Yeah. So, and then, so these, these gray gorillas decided that they were going to start testing the perimeters. Um, and so they started triggering these machine guns. And dude, they go through like 45,000 rounds in a matter of like 90 seconds. They do.
3: And the whole thing is a complete ripoff of that scene from Aliens. Because they do the exact same thing. And in Aliens, they set themselves, Ripley and the Marines are cloistered in that room. They set up a perimeter of automated guns. The aliens are smart enough to start testing to see where the perimeter's boundaries are. Even if some of them have to get shot... And then when they realize they can't really get past the guns, they start trying to get into the room through the air ducts above where everyone's hiding. And the apes in this do the same thing. When they realize they can't get through the perimeter, they just get up into the treetops and start trying to come down that way. Right. It's a cool scene, but it's also a total
1: ripoff of aliens. Yeah. Well, they they uh, knock down a branch from the tree to yeah. take out the laser and the, and the gun.
3: Right. There you go.
1: So, like, are these laser walls or are they just lights? Like, do the... Well, they, they had these, like, you could see that there were laser, it was like a laser wall, like a four, a four set laser, I believe, like maybe three or four. I uh, see. So like like if you touch it, two, three foot spacing. It's like
0: Resident Evil or something, or like Catherine Zeta-Jones, like.
3: Yeah, which is, and including in, in, um, that movie with Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, it's, it's bad science. You can't see, even really powerful ones, you can't see laser light. Unless there's something there like dust or something to pass through it, if you're in a really clean room with, with clean air and you fire a laser light, you can't see the laser. It's bullshit. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What are you, a laser
1: expert? <laughs> I yeah, know that you, much. Even at night, you're not going to see it. Exactly. Um, but so then, then Dr. Ross pulls out this like purple bulbed. Um, light fixture that was like supposed to be like a, I don't know, like a black light or something, or like, and, and she turns that on, and somehow these two tiny little light bulbs light up the entire fucking campsite. <laughs> that's oh, a good point. You, you
3: know, I wonder what, what, what it's
1: supposed to be. I'm, I don't know if it's really what it is, but I'm thinking about,
3: I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Maybe some of the listeners have seen it. There's a really fascinating nature documentary called Planet Earth, and, um, The people that filmed it had to come up with some incredible and unique brand new ways to get some of the footage they got. They wanted to capture footage of lions hunting at night, but it's so pitch black out there even with the moonlight that the cameras couldn't pick up enough of anything to be visible. So they came up with this system. Honest to god, there are YouTube videos about how it worked, it's incredible. They set up these gigantic arrays that beam out massive quantities of a spectrum of light that the human eye can't see. So even when they're running to a person standing there, it looks pitch black, but the cameras can pick up that spectrum of light. So when they turned the cameras on, suddenly it looked like they were filming in daytime. They could see the, the lions hunting and everything. This is real footage. It That's ended up wild. In, in, yeah, it really is. It ended up in the documentary. They got, it's the first time anyone had ever recorded it. They got footage of lions trying to kill an elephant in the middle of the night and they, and they, they weren't successful doing it, but. Um, it's one of the most amazing things just from a technical perspective I've ever seen. So I wonder if maybe it's supposed to be something like that. Wow.
1: Yeah. So you're saying these these uh, documentarists have uh, ripped off Congo? Yeah, they be. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. It was. For real. So our group heads back to
0: Zinge because there's a few missing people the next day. Amy's missing and they suspect, I guess, that they went back into the depths of Zinge. Cavi, this is kind of the the big final scene that's what everything has been building up to um why don't you get us started on it at least like i know that herkimer homoka has some very specific plans here
2: yes homoka uh, well first they they enter into the i don't know the what would you even call that the the den of the gray gorillas it's really the heart and of the diamond s- mine too yes yes and um they see on the walls more hieroglyphics and how the gorillas were created. Here's
4: the story. They domesticated gorillas. You call that domesticated? They're killing a man. So they taught them to be this way. They bred them to violence.
2: They looked for the trait and they encouraged
4: it. Guard dogs. And they turned on their masters.
2: And w- Which is really cool, by the way, that whole, uh, the whoever drew that, killed that. that stuff looks great I like that
0: little story um, then, too like they were specifically bred in a unique way like they're their own species that are unique to this region's Sp- bred for violence to guard the mine but they turned on the people yeah. that live there it's pretty cool mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah it's a really cool story and then uh, Homolga just starts seeing the diamonds and grabbing them and picking them up and that's where things uh, start to escalate and uh, a bunch of the great gorillas come down and start swiping at him, and he gets, uh. He, uh. Well, he has a very bad day. And actually, this is the whole point of this movie was actually this is how
3: Pennywise was made. So, OG. <laughs> the OG Pennywise. Uh, are you talking so. about this is how the band Pennywise was formed, or this is how the clown Pennywise was created? <laughs> this is the Pennywise clown origin story. Oh, okay, good. Exactly, exactly.
2: Nobody knows who that band Pennywise is. We don't we, nobody knows who they are anymore. No,
3: I think unless you're stopped going to the van's war in like nineteen ninety eight, so
1: yeah. <laughs> and except Pennywise came out ten years prior to this movie, anyways. <laughs> Whatever.
3: Right. But yeah,
2: so so in order to become Pennywise, you have to be holding rare diamonds and murdered by gray gorillas uh, that don't exist in the in the regular Ooh. universe, and then you become Pennywise. Have you guys seen so that, that, legend?
3: With yes. Tom Cruise oh, and the yeah, yeah, yeah. where he plays the Satan, yeah, uh, which is one. Of, this is, it's incredible. I no, I am going to do that. I am sorry, Cappy. I am going to do that one. That's his. That's his origin. He dies and becomes the Satan in Legend. <laughs> Even though the movie's twenty years older than this, either way, he's a or demon, 10. right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 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 that's a good costume in Legend, by the oh way. Oh my God, it is that thing's fucking incredible. That co- that costume is one of it's one of the greatest moments in fantasy filmmaking in history. Absolutely. But Herkimer Homoka gets his ass handed to him. Like he gets. He gets
0: brutally destroyed by these fucking gray gorillas, and more and more of them show up, and our, our whole gang is attacked. It's kind of a big gunfight. Basically, any no name mercenary gets killed,
1: right, Jonathan? Yeah, exactly. I was, I was kind of uh, glad that Homolka got. Beat up the way he did rather than just like his head smashed in like some of the other guys. I mean, he kind of deserved it, man. He was kind of a <laughs> piece of shit. Are hey, you, I, can
3: you I can we touch on that for a second? I'd like to hear your reasons why and Corey and Cappy, your opinions too. Cause honestly, I, Homolka doesn't actually seem like a bad guy to me for the most part. He's a little bit, little bit of a sleaze guy, but for the most part, all he's really trying to do is fulfill this childhood dream of finding this ancient mine. He, he has no idea he's putting himself or the rest of them into this level of danger. He's got no idea. None of them have any idea what they're really going to find there. Even Ross doesn't really know what's going to happen. His whole thing was... Homolka's whole thing was, look, you're going to return this ape anyway. That's fine. We can return the ape. I don't need her to be there. Let's just go find Zinj while we're there and I'll get some diamonds. You All know, right.
0: If- Which one of us is going to defend it? Who wants to go? Go ahead. All right. Go ahead, Corey. So earlier in the movie... Monroe Kelly says to Herkimer Homoke, he says, I do know you. He goes, you took an expedition to Zinge, which was failed five years ago. I remember that. Several of your, uh, your co-expeditioners died of exposure. Right. One of them died from a gunshot from we don't know who, and you were the only one left.
1: Okay. Plus, he right. owes so, money to everybody in Africa. I will. Well, another quote that about part that I do too.
3: remember, but being in debt to a bunch of people is not a good reason to get murdered by evil apes. I mean, you're, you're maybe you're a shithead. But it's like, suspected that he fucking killed someone. So are you, maybe, maybe then, maybe. But even then, it's just like you know, this was suspicious. I don't actually know that you did anything.
0: It, it, it is suspicious. He says- It's very suspicious. He says but, it was an appalling suicide, but like I think it's set up to be like that was bullshit.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, okay, look, I definitely I agree. There's an implication he might have shot somebody, but I mean, I, I guess that would be the one thing then, because otherwise, otherwise, even if he owes money to everyone, fine, he's an irresponsible louse, but does he deserve to be like murdered, you know? <laughs> hey,
1: hey, fuck him.
3: <laughs> right. I, go ahead, Cabby. He was also gonna call Ernie Hudson's
2: character the N word, so I'm good with him being Boom. torn apart by I gorillas in the most now, horrific Steve. way.
3: Well, all right, shitty <laughs> shitty human being, shitty human being. But you know, look, if somebody called me a racial slur, I wouldn't I wouldn't return by say saying you deserve to be murdered by evil gorillas. Maybe you deserve to have the shit beaten out of you, but like, you know. I guess you're right. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. Yeah, I mean fine. You know, except you know, I'll go I'll go with what you're saying about maybe shooting a guy. That's May, cool that maybe you defend you this racist. We well, appreciate I'll, that. I, look, I can't defend all his behavior. But you know, look, I I don't I don't condone the racism. So
1: so what one good thing did he do in this film?
3: Well I look he, arguably he didn't do anything bad in this film either. He didn't shoot that guy in the course of the story. Supposedly. All, no it's totally different mission guilty
1: until proven innocent man <laughs> no, no, it's the way it, fucking america it, works no they're in africa they yeah, yeah that's they their justice system plus yeah. totally
3: different mission totally different group of people did not involve any of these people so they've got no reason none of them knew the guy he shot they got no reason to want revenge for that and all he's trying to do here is get get to get to zinge that dude just wants some diamonds, which is frankly he, what they he, all want.
1: He's, hey, the, he's already the, violating the fucking Ten Commandments, now, dude. Greed, man. If you think about Come it, on. if you think about it, the
3: Jodon Baker character is a way bigger scumbag than he is because this dude's son gets murdered trying to find diamonds that he's going to get rich on. And when it happens, the dude's just like what happened to the diamonds. Yeah. He well, is a piece of shit. fuck them both, dude. Right. But, <laughs> but he no one's saying he deserved to get murdered by the apes. He deserved it way more than Homelka did. I huh.
0: think it would be funny if Karen Ross could like set up the laser to like teleport a gray ape into that control room.
1: <laughs> well <laughs> let, let's not guess. get let's not <laughs> so get way ahead of ourselves. But she sets up a laser to shoot the whole fucking building down and destroy and kills them anyways.
0: No, I think it just the, turns off their satellite. Yeah, I don't I'm pretty sure well, she not I blow like up to believe
1: moment. that if they're blowing up their control room that they're He's killing him, too. I don't
3: think it really... Did the control room would really blow up? I thought just the dish blew up.
1: Yeah, the dish. But,
3: yeah. Which is funny
0: that she could shoot that laser out to space I'd like, like to that. Well, pretend that the dish that, is like on top of the gl- building.
3: R- it's gl- hilarious to think that even as an act of deserved revenge that you could destroy what was probably a billion-dollar corporate-owned satellite and never get in any trouble for it. Like, she's going to go to jail before okay, she gets all, back to the United States. She's got CIA ties.
1: Uh-huh. First of all, how's, how's that, like, little laser gonna travel 25,000 <laughs> miles around the world? Well, f- hey man, they to can, Texas. Beam, they can beam direct TV to you. It just bounces.
3: <laughs> so what satellites do.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like, this laser so, beam, so- Jonathan raises a good question. How far does the laser beam go until it stops? I mean, in the case of, like, a direct TV
3: dish, hundreds of thousands of miles. No, like,
0: the laser beam in the movie, the laser pack, because that's what she uses.
3: Right, no, but I'm just saying, like, if a a dish can broadcast a signal from outside Earth's atmosphere, then I don't think it's that incredible to believe that a powerful enough laser could go the same distance.
1: But there's no way that handheld fucking laser powered by the blue a luthium, whatever, some, diamond. Some it
3: clearly is supposed to be science fiction. I can't argue it's yeah. totally accurate, but the whole idea yeah, within the context true. of science fiction is supposed to be that those diamonds, that's what they're for. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. That's exactly what those diamonds, that's the whole reason okay. Travacom wants them in the first place. That's a good place.
1: point. yeah so, I'll take yeah. it. So, I, I sometimes uh, have to remember that, like, right. you know, we're, we're, there's an element of science fiction in these movies yeah, that has to, you have to... Uh, kind uh, of address. Uh, yeah, yeah expand your thinking just a little bit
2: (laughs) i think we need a myth a Mythbusters um congo episode one for the uh, heat seeking missile scene and one for the uh shooting a uh a satellite down with a laser beam definitely (laughs) now Cavi, to kind of get back into the movie where you left us is they're all
0: being attacked by the greys laura linney karen she puts together a laser. Why don't you tell us about what happens here and the volcanic eruption and all that?
2: Well, we lose the homie Kaega. I know, which is, is such a bummer because his character was great, and I remember being a kid being bummed out by that.
1: That was the really big like uh, uh, guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, the one who carried the machete and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
3: There's a yes. moment in, in that screen that scene where Hudson looks at one of, looks at the wrong person and calls him Kahega and they didn't cut it. Cut it. <laughs> it ended up in the movie. <laughs> really. <laughs> I never caught that.
2: <laughs> but yeah, um, we also get the uh, payoff of the laser, which um, we, we see it briefly foreshadowed with uh, Bruce Campbell's character. He burns a bush with the, uh, what, like, diamond dust? He shows that the laser works, and then we get this huge payoff of, we're going to take out all these evil, gray, bad gorillas, ugly (laughs) gorillas with um, with that. And Amy also gets her power glove somewhere uh, while this is happening. She's going to save the day with her power glove somehow. Um, Were you buying that, Cavi? So Amy shows up. They're about to kill Peter, and she just like starts yelling at him. But they like stop. Like, wh- I mean, that's yeah. No, I don't buy. I don't buy that at all. <laughs> I mean, we literally see crushed. Uh, as a kid, I bought it, but today uh, as an adult, I'm looking at it, and we even get uh, they point out the gorilla bones and the crushed skull, and it's like, yeah, no, there's uh, there's what twenty of them, and Amy. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't see that being a thing. It's it's, uh, it's a fun scene, but I don't buy you No, know,
3: They clearly kill other gorillas. They found a whole pile of other gorillas' bones so, yeah. with, with crushed exactly. skulls. So, yeah.
1: But maybe <laughs> they just never really had somebody come in and just absolutely alpha the shit out of them and just go, whoa, I all can, right. I can maybe go maybe we do need to listen to somebody because, you know, they've but just Amy's- been being destructive and... And protective of their grounds for, you know, hundreds of years without even knowing what the hell they were actually doing. Maybe they needed an authoritative figure. But
3: Amy's the ape equivalent, the gorilla equivalent of like a 10-year-old elementary school girl. Corey, you've got a daughter about that age. If she came in strapped dude, up with a gun threatening, would you believe her? Like, come dude, on. It's a little all, girl.
1: all these fucking gray gorillas were just a bunch of inbred fucks, dude. They're, <laughs> you know, borderline mental issues. They're just angry for no reason at all and it's destroy true. everybody. Like, they, they don't have the mental capacity to make any judgments for themselves. So as soon as they had some sort of like motherly instinct or, or alpha instinct gorilla come in and say, shut the shit down, they were like, oh, it it wasn't the being shot at it was this
0: small female gorilla I like that I I like that point of view I'm glad that someone has a take at least on it because to me I was like why but at least there is a why to be presented (laughs)
3: that's
1: the only thing I could think of
3: that laser is fucking hardcore though
1: there is a rumor
3: that there was a scene cut from the movie where one of the gorillas gets a hold of the laser gun and just goes literally apeshit with it but nobody (laughs) can prove that the scene exists I'm going to do a little bit of a shout out here, even though they've never shouted out to us. There's a channel on YouTube called Funhouse and the people that run it have actually been trying to prove whether or not this footage exists. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Are they successful in this endeavor? Um, not Not yet, as far as I'm aware, but we'll see what happens.
2: Man, you do
1: you do research, man. I respect the hell out of that. Holy like,
3: crap! Thank you. I,
1: I'm like, I'm sure this deleted scene is like a high priority for these guys at Funhouse, right? Fun house, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. If you, if you guys want to give us a shout out sometime, that'd be great. But yeah,
3: with everything going on in the world right now, that's their thing. <laughs> their main focus is finding the lost scene from Congo, where a gorilla with a diamond powered laser gun goes ape. <laughs> the world is Dude. fucking
2: ending yeah. all around us. Right. Fuck the Snyder cut I don't want the they Snyder go- cut I,
3: I, I want that that deleted scene <laughs> oh my god I need that the, 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 the gorilla laser cut we got to give it some kind of name <laughs> <laughs> yeah man I mean that's
0: that's what HBO Max should be offering right now
3: oh absolutely number one thing the cut of Congo with the lost gorilla laser scene well what would happen a laser versus laser are there two lasers in this version I'm not really sure how it's supposed to work I only know that there's a rumor there's a scene where one of the gorillas gets the laser gun that's cool. Altern-
1: <laughs> alternate ending. Dr. Ross gets murdered right. and uh, they fucking laser out everybody and nobody gets out of Zinj.
3: Yeah. Little did anybody know this movie was originally subtitled Rise of the Greys. And in the end, they just kill all the people.
2: <laughs> nice. I mean, we really don't know if they make it out, because we see them in a hot air balloon, but they were already getting shot with heat-seeking missiles, so we really don't know how that ends. I
1: I had a huge problem with this fucking hot air balloon, okay? Like, they, (laughs) just like Cavi said, like, they were already getting shot at in Zaire or wherever they're at. Uh, with heat-seeking missiles, and they're going to be in this slow fucking hot air balloon and not get shot down? Like, that's the easiest thing in the world to get shot down. Would you guys remind me, are hot air balloons easy to steer? <laughs> well, no. They, they say, like, steer oh, there's them? our wind. <laughs> you, you, you hope, got, you hope go it takes down, someplace right?
3: good. So if a, if a uh, heat-seeking missile were following you, it wouldn't be easy to get out of the way of it, would it?
1: No. no. You'd have to deflate pretty fast. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: And they all died. No, I will say this. One thing I do like about, like, it ends, like you said, in the hot air balloon. They get rid of the diamond. Karen basically quits her job, destroys the satellite. I don't know if we mentioned this at all, but the whole diamond mine is on top of a volcano that erupts at the worst possible time. And all the greys, they just seem to be cannonballing right into it. Yeah, like they're
1: just he, yeah doing... that was so weird. Like, like, did they not know what to do? So they just started jumping into the lava? I guess. I don't yeah. really know what the point of that was. I think the yeah. implication
3: has got to be that they just, they know they need to escape, but they don't understand what lava is. Yeah, like...
2: I feel like this is where they look the most human with the cannonballs. Like, it just, <laughs> like, that scene just does not play for me now. It, that scene does not play for me at all. I'm like, this looks really
3: bad and uh, yeah Yeah, the the Uh, little kind of blip when they fall into the lava is odd looking it's a very weird cg effect i mean to the point that i we talked at the beginning that Crichton dropped out of what was originally supposed to be the movie version of this because they couldn't make amy look right it was back in the late 70s early 80s they had basically Mm. the same issue here to a slightly lesser degree they went with the costumes because they just couldn't make it look right in cg especially with uh with hair Um, Jonathan rightly pointed out when we did the Flintstones, it was a huge deal with the saber-toothed cat that they'd been able to get all the hair to work and they had to write special software to do it. They just weren't quite there yet with this film. Uh, They kind of got stuck trying to blend what was fairly primitive CG with these physical things. And there are moments now, in retrospect especially, you can just see doesn't doesn't work right.
0: So here's a a talking point I bring up all the time. 1995 movie Jumanji had... Animals with CG hair, and it looked awful. The lion and the monkeys. Now I know, Steve. Whenever I say this, you defend it, but it's bad. Rewatch it; it's fucking bad. Man. I see. I yeah.
3: I I do defend it, and I am going to disagree with you for two reasons. And I I understand why you think the way you do. Honestly, I do. But n- real quick, number one, um, it it's old tech. You, I mean, I understand there are some movies that hold up to scrutiny after years, but ninety nine percent of anything with CG that just is not the case. Even the CG in Jurassic Park doesn't look as fresh anymore as a lot of people like to pretend it does. Number two, those animals were never designed to look completely real. The whole idea in that movie was they were lost inside the world of a board game. So expecting that they were all going to look photorealistic in a movie from 95 when they were designed to be board game animals, I think is unfair. But that being said, I do understand why you feel the way you do. Apologist, man. <laughs> Flintstones
1: could do it. Jumanji should have been able to do it.
3: That, that Look, I'm going to add to this now. The saber tooth tiger in Flintstones doesn't actually look very good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, the, and I excuse. We talked about this when we did the Flintstones and the way Dino looks in the movie. I excused the CG in that movie for the same exact reason. It's adapted from a 1960s era cartoon. It was never meant to look photorealistic.
0: Okay. The ending. Another point. <laughs> One thing I like is that there's no romantic subplot. Like, Peter and Karen, like, never, like, get together. Like, they would have, I feel like, in a lesser movie. Yeah. Like, they
1: kind of had a little flirty kind of scene a couple times, but it wasn't, like, uh, anything that really stood out. Right,
0: and it never paid off. It was never, no. like, they're getting together. Like, the, at the end, I don't think there's any implication that they do. No. Or her and Ernie Hudson. Like, they're, they're no. just three people on a mission. The, that
1: the real relationship I, scene was between uh, Amy and, and Dr. Elliot. As like a, I don't know, like a like a father daughter kind of thing. Definitely. Even though like everybody joked about, oh, they're married. Oh, that's a husband and wife. Or whatever, joking like that. Uh, it, it was definitely like a, like a father daughter guy. You know, yeah, he really did care daughter. for
0: this animal. Definitely, yeah. no, a
1: hundred percent. There's
2: actually. There's actually a deleted scene, a lovemaking scene between Peter and Amy <laughs> that was cut.
3: That is so disturbing to think about.
2: Yeah, it's deleted because it turns out it was
0: illegal. Oh, God, it's horrible.
2: Spank, Amy, spank. Cappy, <laughs> <God, be> fuck. <laughs> oh, my God, that's burned into my head.
1: Oh. That is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that coming from Cappy.
0: Do you guys have any final points about the movie
3: itself before ratings? Um, yeah, I guess the the ending is fairly similar to the ending in the book in the sense that they end up getting away in a hot air balloon. But the book makes a point of saying that Monroe was actually able to get out with Case's worth of the diamonds and ended up becoming very wealthy because of it. Even though his character was drastically different from the book in a lot of other ways. Um, but uh, uh, other than that, no, I think that's, that's my end of it.
1: I thought it was like, a, I think we kind of touched on it earlier, but I thought it was a little crowded with too many different storylines between all these different people. And then for them to all come together and uh uh for one story and just in a matter of like hours, you know, like between Dr. Ross, Dr. Elliot and Homolka and to be able to put this expedition together in like you know that afternoon um, I, I just thought it was a little unbelievable for all that to tie in together and that was really probably my only um, um, judgment on okay. the movie we can
0: get more into judgments in a second in ratings Cavi anything about the movie you want to say before we go
2: into ratings with money anything is possible <laughs> no doubt yeah I I have nothing <laughs> more to add all right. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, let's go into ratings. Um, Jonathan, you were kind of going that direction anyway. Why don't you tell us on any rating scale you want. Yeah. What are you going to give it?
1: Um, you know, like like all in all, it was a pretty enjoyable movie. Um, I don't think I would go out of my way to watch this. Like I wouldn't, you know, say, hey, kids, let's rent Congo tonight, you know, but um I have a real soft spot for like adventure movies like this. And, and so I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, especially when it comes to Africa, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but that it, these like safari adventures just kind of really intrigue me. And I like watching movies like that, but I'm going to give this movie, uh, five laser removed gorilla thumbs out of 10. Gotcha. (laughs)
0: Ugh. Five thumbs, not up or down, but on the ground. (laughs)
1: Laser removed on the
2: ground. (laughs) Kavi, why don't you go ahead? Uh, I really enjoy this movie. It's it's super nostalgic for me. Um, Then you've got Ernie Hudson, who Ghostbusters, and anything Ghostbusters is my shit. So I'm just like, yes to all of it. Um, I'm going to give it uh, 8.5 out of 10 ugly (laughs) womans
0: awesome alright I'm gonna go next thank you very much Kavi I am gonna give this a 9 out of 10 sesame cakes just because mostly nostalgia but also like I I think I've told Steve this and maybe a couple other people like, when a movie is so nostalgic for me, like Hook, like, I can't really see its flaws anymore. Like, it gets to a point where I can't look at it objectively. And for that reason, this movie is on the high pedestal that I had it on when I was a kid as well. I really love the way the gorillas look in this movie. I think they look great. I know people complain about it, but I like it. I think Amy's cute. I like all our main characters and how different they are. I like, the mercenary, this strong female character, former CIA... I like Peter Elliot, he's kind of like he's a little bit of a wimp, but like not like Richard, you got the Richard to illustrate what a real wimp is like, it's just cool, like, the stuff they do, they their safari the end result, the climax, the fucking laser, you get a little bit of Bruce Campbell in there, it's fucking awesome to me and I love it, so 9 out of 10 sesame cakes
3: which you need to stop eating immediately (laughs) Damn, let me spit this out (laughs) (laughs) Steve, what about you? I'm going to rate this movie on the scale of 1 to 10 green drop drinks. Um, uh, actually, you know what? I've, I, a lot of overlap for me with both what you and Jonathan said. I agree with Jonathan's statement. I'm a huge fan of adventure movies. Like Michael Crichton, I'm a big fan of the Lost World genre, and I enjoy a lot of the books and movies that have been produced within it. That it, it makes things a lot of fun. Um, very much like yourself, I have a tremendous amount of nostalgia um, for the 80s, for the 90s, for the stuff that I liked during my childhood and my teen years, and agree with you 100%. There are several movies um, and other items that I'm just so strongly nostalgic about. It makes it difficult or impossible to even acknowledge the fact that flaws are there. I'm not quite as powerfully nostalgic about this specific movie, but there are others I am. There's a lot about this movie that does work. The set design was mostly pretty good costuming wasn't anything special but adequate casting was pretty decent actors all delivered at least a decent performance Tim Curry and um, Ernie Hudson and Delroy Landau are the standouts for me their characters are my favorite I think they did act, add a little bit of, of flavor to the movie I will agree with um, Anthony um, wait sorry not Anthony Cabby yeah uh, I, both of you really um, uh, it, it, it feels like there's certain stuff in the film that doesn't need to be there This was kind of my argument to begin with with uh, the Homolka character, and I think you were probably right. I think there's a lot that ended up in this film because otherwise there just wasn't enough. But at the same time, it kind of feels like it doesn't belong there. Anyway, so overall for me, I'm going to give the film... I'm going to give the film 6 out of 10 green drop drinks. I think it's a slightly bigger, slightly better production than maybe your average. But for me, it's too flawed and too much different from the source material to really stand out as being better than that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I want to thank you all for joining me on this podcast. Steve, Jonathan, Cavi. appreciate having you. Thank you. As always. Cavie, thanks. if people want to hear more of you, I know you have a new video out and stuff. Where can people find you and what do you do?
2: Well, um, I'm a nerd rapper. I'm also <laughs> a bit of a goofball. So you can find me at CaviAnvil on Instagram or on TikTok where all the insanity happens. I also do nerd news in a rap format on YouTube. Awesome. Wow <laughs> Check out Cavi.
0: He does some good stuff. I love it. If you the listeners want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. If you're listening on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment, send us a suggestion. You can follow our Instagram, Big Dumb Movie Podcast, and here's the big one. If you want to leave us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts and five stars, that would be much appreciated. We always like those. So do that if you're feeling friendly. Thank you guys very much for listening. We hear a big dumb movie. We say we love you and good night. Good night.
2: Peace.